Hello and welcome, my name is Joe O'Mara, I'm the Head of Aviation Finance with KPMG and on behalf of KPMG and Airline Economics I'm delighted to be joined by John Pluger who is the CEO of Airlease Corp. John, thanks again for joining us and contributing to our annual leaders report and um, before we get into maybe the meat of the conversation and I'm sure all our watchers will know, will you tell us a little bit about ALC? Sure, um, well ALC was formed in uh, the first quarter of 2010 uh, it's no secret that uh, it was formed by Steve Hazy and myself joining him after we left uh, ILFC. We had a, a number of, uh, of uh, people that sought to join with us at the time. Uh, and so we, we did. Uh, we were very successful from day one. Well, we bought our uh, first airplane in May of that year. And then, surprisingly enough, uh, about just about a year later, we had one of the lead investment banks came to us and said, you know, we think we can take you public. Uh, your, prior, prior, your reputations at your prior company did well on Wall Street, and so lo and behold, we went public, um, literally about 13 months after we founded uh, ourselves, and uh, on the New York Stock Exchange, went public in April of 2011. So it's been off to the races ever since. We started buying aircraft. Uh, initially, we even bought some, some of the ATR product and Embraer. We could get those quicker than Boeing and Airbus, but quickly we transitioned to our main uh, and well-known business model, which is just buying brand new aircraft from Airbus and Boeing on long forward um, speculative contracts and then leasing those airline, uh, aircraft to airlines all around the world. And so today we're sitting here now, total fleet of uh, delivered plus under management plus on future order just under a thousand airplanes. Great, thanks John. And, and given that size and scale, you're very well placed to comment on where we are from a recovery perspective. Mm -hmm. And what are your perspectives on, on how that recovery is, is clearly strongly taking yeah. hold? And where are you seeing the opportunities in the market at the moment? Well, um, so the market is exceptionally strong. In fact, surprisingly and unusually so, I think it started with the, the passenger traffic recovery that even surprised the airlines themselves. And so from this past summer on forward, we're seeing a, a, a very strong, robust, continued um, uh, you know, um, growth in uh, passenger traffic returning. Certainly it started domestically and regionally, and now it's finally going over to the international space. Um, the one country that's still a little bit behind on that is China, of course. But nevertheless, the, de the demand has become very, very, very strong. Um, initially on the single aisles, but now very much into the Twin Isles as well. So, um, of course, uh, today, sitting here in, in, uh, in, um, towards the end of 2022, the economic, macroeconomic picture is, is of concern on everyone's uh, radar. We have rising interest rates, the rising strength of the dollar, which is a global aviation currency. Uh, we, lease, we lease aircraft in dollars. Um, and uh, we have a huge pressure on inflationary costs in general across the board. So obviously the concern is will that cloud uh, the recovery in passenger traffic and, and airline recovery? And so far, sitting here today, the answer seems to be not yet or no. Uh, as a matter of fact, the demand is extremely strong, continues to be so, and just one talking point, uh, you know, a I would say a month and a half or two months ago, per recollection, Michael O'Leary uh, at Ryanair had made some public statements showing, uh, suggesting some caution about he didn't know what the end of the year travel is going to be like and 
Now, what, two weeks ago, he's basically reversed himself and said, no, 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 bookings are very, very strong all the way through the holidays and beyond. And of course, Ryanair being an ultra low cost carrier is a very good leading indicator uh, of where the industry is. So um, you have that combined with Asia now reopening their international travel routes. Again, primarily outside of China, but just in the last 60, 90 days, we have um, uh, increasing flight frequencies interna international being, having been announced by Vietnam, by, uh, by uh, Korean Air, by Asiana, by uh, Japan Airlines, by you know, many, many other large international players. And so my gut, I have no data to support it, but my gut would be, and we suspect, that if there is some evidence in ongoing months about some kind of a curbing or a lessening or abatement in travel demand, maybe in Europe or North America, I believe that that's going to continue to be offset by continued growth and expansion now in Asia, uh, which is still very much in a recovery mode. Um, and the last, data, last point I would share is that when you look at all of the large-scale studies that have been done on discretionary spending, that what does the consumer spend their dollar on? There has been a very clear trend over the last five years now, especially with younger people, that they are, whatever money they have to spend, they tend to favor spending it on travel and experience as opposed to widgets and, and goods. I think that's going to continue. So while these global macroeconomic factors are uh, certainly something to be carefully watched, uh, and we all are, it seems from where I sit today that this strength in the passenger travel recovery will continue. The demand is certainly continuing. It's accelerating on the on, on all fronts, and you know, from our perspective, one of the biggest um, uh, points to, to raise there is we we only have a handful of wide bodies left to place, and that was all. Everybody, I mentioned that only because everybody had focused previously on the wide body this and wide body that. Wide, wide bodies are also recovering very strongly now, and so never say never. But my gut is is um, the biggest limiter we have right now is the OEMs in the supply chain. Uh, the engine providers have been well discussed, have, uh, are hard pressed to meet the production rate aspirations of both Airbus and Boeing. So I think the supply chain and the OEMs are actually the bigger limiter that we have right now in overall airline travel and recovery. And so um, we'll see. Uh, a year from now, we may have the same discussion and see uh, how, how it's turned out. But that's what we see so far. Yeah, well, I remember having this conversation last year with you, and you know, and this was our hope. I think this yeah. recovery be as strong that has yeah. been as strong. Yeah, yeah. I echo that when I'm on a plane at the moment; it's full. Right? Yeah. I think that's indicative yeah. of, of what you're seeing. You mentioned those uncertain geopolitical mm -hmm. and macroeconomic factors, and as you say, you parse them around inflation, interest mm -hmm. rates, mm -hmm. oil prices, mm -hmm. currency. From your own business perspective, which do you view as the most challenging, right? And is this level of uncertainty making kind of medium-term planning hard from an ALC perspective? I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that it's it, it's hard necessarily. Um, just for the following reasons, the hardest part is not knowing how to deal with. It. I, I like to think, I still think that we have constructed our business since we started from day one. You know, with global economic things, you know, in, in the back of our minds. Just for example, 
um, we've publicly stated many times, we only order about half the aircraft that we think we can place. And particularly during the pandemic, that turned out to be a pretty good hedge. You know, we could have ordered more. But we've always maintained that consistent philosophy. Um, and so while certainly the debt markets are much, much pricier these days, and, and we and others will end up paying more for debt, we have uh, the fortunate position in most of our forward lease contracts. Uh, we have interest rate adjusters at delivery, which will take care of you know some of that. Um, and we also have escalation adjusters. And so the more, believe it or not, the more challenging part, which I think the OEMs would echo, is when you have to say to good customers, no, I don't have anything more. And especially when they've turned to you in the past and said, fill a hole here, do that, that, that. We are coming to this place in an industry where people with a good-sized order book, such as Air Lease, are having to say that now more and more, you know, sort of like from years ago, I'm probably dating myself with this phrase, but it's like, yes, we have no bananas. And, and we're quickly reaching that point. Um, we have been in the past in eras and times of rising interest rates. In the past, we have also seen eras of stronger dollar. That's actually happened a number of times the past 40 years in this industry. And every single time, the industry is powered through. Airlines have powered through. Some will take some pain here and there. Airlines are going to go bankrupt. Uh, they always have. It's not a pure investment grade uh, industry, and um, doesn't no one expects it to be. But all I'm saying is, as to that part of it, the currency, the interest rate, et cetera, we've seen this before. And so we and other uh, lessors, uh, you know, have have tools to deal with it in the structure we have uh, on leases and such. We we may have a few people we may have to help out here and there. That, this is really nothing that's really that new. Um, I think, I think a, a, perhaps a bigger question is, is on the geopolitical risk front. We have a very unfortunate situation in Russia and Ukraine, and nobody knows how that's going to end. And of course, many are very concerned now about China and Taiwan. And where is that going to go? And um, for example, I think the insurance markets, the people who insure all of our aircraft, are very much looking at that as well and kind of lumping the two of those into one basket from a risk perspective and you can understand why. So China is such a big part of the global marketplace. Uh, when you look forward, that represents an uncertainty that I don't think any of us really know how to deal with right now. We've faced, as I said, we've straight faced strong dollar before. We've faced interest rate, you know, uh, hikes before. Uh, we've had all kinds of situation, but never before have we really faced what's happened in Russia, Ukraine now, at least in a, in a major way. That could be on a larger scale, some impact or something happens in China. I don't know what that something happens is, but I think that's something that is probably on the minds of a lot of people these days. Many of us have to do business in China and Taiwan. Forget about the aircraft industry, just globally. I mean, many, many companies uh, do business there. And so this remains a big, big uncertain question. And is that changing your strategy towards looking at the Chinese market? Or is it just having to analyze deal by deal with a bit more scrutiny and skepticism? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's more the latter. China will always be a big, important marketplace. You know, at the same time, if I had an opportunity to play a day to, to place 100 more airplanes in China tomorrow, I'm not so sure. Yeah. And they've been great partners in the airline side of it. These are, these are good airlines and well, they're well run. But one cannot deny the political realities. Uh, the United States and China have a very difficult relationship at this point in time. Who knows who's going to spill over? I, I, I don't want to you know, point fingers at all, and that's not my job. But it's a question of degree, I think, of risk. And so how much do you, uh, do you want to do? We're, we're happy with our leases there. We've got great airline customers there that continue to pay us during the pandemic. Uh, and that's all well and good. But I think it just comes down to degree, uh, each on a case-by-case basis. But if you go to extremes, would I put 100 or 200 airplanes more there tomorrow if I could on the dotted line? I would have to pause. Maybe bringing the, the points you make on the rising interest rate environment and just the demand you're seeing for your product, mm -hmm. how is that feeding in from a pricing perspective? So we, you know, the general chatter, and as you say, we're, we're in very late October here, is lease rate factors are ticking upwards, but, mm -hmm. but probably not at the rate you would see um, yeah. in, in corollary to the interest rate market. Yeah. Does that reconcile, reconcile with what you're seeing? And what do you think, if so, drives the lag between the two? Yeah. So historically, there has always been a lag. Um, during periods of rising interest rates, lease rates never go up as fast uh, as the, the interest rates go up. But conversely, on the other side, when interest rates start going down, also there's a lag before lease rates start following it. So there's really two factors that are driving the uptick in lease rate factors, and there very much is an uptick in lease rate factors. Um, one is what we just talked about. Yes, everybody's paying more for interest. Uh, just generally speaking, costs are going up for all companies, and that's a, a, a that's a pressure to drive lease rates up. But the second is just fundamental supply and demand. Um, our order book, our remaining whatever we have left to lease out that have not been placed order book positions are highly valued right now, and those with a well placed, well priced order book are, are I believe, in a very good position. So <clears throat> while you maybe can't state this across the board for all aircraft, new and used, et cetera, our main business model is the placing of brand new airplanes from our order book. And we feel pretty good about that. And I think the sheer constraint on supply of available positions, um, certainly over the next 24 to 36 months, uh, is, uh, is, a, is a big driver in in lease rate factors and you know we we and others are in the enviable position uh, we certainly are I'm, I'm assuming some others are as well of what do you do when you have multiple airlines now that want the same position all good customers that's a challenging customer that's a challenging thing to manage from a customer perspective and it goes to a point that I made earlier how do you say no either I have nothing left or I'm sorry, but we have somebody that's going to pay significantly more. That's just the commercial reality. We love to satisfy all requirements. So we're getting into that space, and these factors are the primary factors that are driving lease rates up. And maybe I'll ask you then a little bit of the trading environment. As you say, you're a very young fleet mm -hmm. focused on mining your order book, yeah. um, but then trading out. Yeah, um, and I guess that the perception at the moment is that the trading environment is in a bit of flux too, mm -hmm. as people ascertain relative value. Mm -hmm. um, 
how do you view that market at the moment? That is it a case of OEM orders and the delay challenges you faced? Just holding assets maybe a couple of years ago yeah. pre-COVID that you might have held us on. Yeah, in fact we have. That's been part of our strategy. We Look, we're an investment grade uh, rated company. We've got a help, very strong liquid balance sheet, which we made even more liquid and boosted during COVID. Um, so we we are in a position, and have been in a position, um, you know, we one of our other sort of tenants is never be in a position where you have to sell. And fortunately, so far, we haven't been in a position where we've had to sell. So these are good at earning assets, so there's no gun to our head making us sell. However, with the recovery in the airline interest, there is now a very much stepped up increase in trading again. And we have more people coming to us literally every week to sell assets to. And so as, as, we, as we publicly announced in our first couple of quarters this year, we are stepping up our sales efforts. Um, and we t have always tended to bias those towards the end of the year. Um, now, rising interest rates do affect those buyers. And um, so remains to be seen how much tempering, because we're seeing actually quite strong demand from people who want to buy airplanes with. I mean, I'm sitting here with you in New York. I've already had three meetings this morning from people who want to buy airplanes, which is a good thing. Um, but interest rates are what they are. And um, most leases around the world, uh, not all, but these days, especially coming from a low interest rate environment, most leases are at fixed rates. So it remains to be seen as to how much um, the appetite for buying aircraft is tempered by the buyer's own ability to finance at a rate that makes that transaction uh, feasible. All I can tell you is there's no shortage <laughs> at all of demand and requests. And so translating that into seeing if there is a deal to be done, especially when the buyer has to arrange, if the buyer has to arrange, uh, arrange dedicated funding for that specific transaction or if they have just you know general funding available remains to be seen but my gut again is that we will see a much more robust aircraft trading environment as we go through not only just us but other lesser through the fourth quarter which is typically the most robust period in our industry to sell and going into next year and an important channel around that trading piece has been the ABS side, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's a, a channel you guys have been having evolved it and, and pioneer change mm -hmm. in over time. Mm -hmm. um, uh, like we talked about some of the trading, it's in a bit of flux, right? Yeah, so yeah. sentiment-driven market. It's been shut down. There was Russia, there's the yeah. interest rate environment. Yeah. Where do you see that market going into next year? So it's tough to see how that recovers given the rate environment. Um, and I think for people like us and lessors like us, we enjoyed uh, the benefits of a lower interest rate. And one of the benefits is we were able to do larger scale transactions. We, we formed various sidecar arrangements and our management platform, we, have, we now have uh, five uh, managed vehicles that are still doing pretty well. Um, so I would say the difference is that we, re we are still not dependent, ALC is not dependent on the uh, ABS marketplace. Now, if we wanted to do a large portfolio sale as we've done to fund some of these uh, management platforms, ultimately that probably would point towards ABS. But so far all of the um, transactions, sales transactions, which we are contemplating and, and in active discussions on with buyers, none of it is depending upon ABS financing. And, and 
if if that market recovers, um, there was some speculation in a in a conference uh, a month ago about how long it would take. I don't know. I I, I think it's going to be hard pressed through at least through 23. But I think my point is I don't need that to sell airplanes. Um, we have many ready buyers that don't depend upon that. Well, it means less large-scale portfolio transactions that require that market, certainly yes, certainly yes. And maybe keeping with the capital markets and, you know, large IG rated lessor, you've tapped unsecured mm -hmm. hugely successfully mm -hmm. um, and have built up, as you said, post-COVID, a lot of liquidity. Mm -hmm. So you have no requirement to go immediately back to the market, mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. but you will. And we will. presumably mm -hmm. that's sure. the channel you'll yeah. continue to tap. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Your thoughts on going when you need to back to that market? Um, we've seen a sophistication and maturing mm -hmm. of aviation mm -hmm. finance, yeah. which is reflective of what yeah. you guys have done. Do you think it's just a case of, look, the markets move from X percent to Y percent and that'll be the premium? Or would you have any concerns that aviation as an asset class will have more challenges when people go back to unsecured? Yeah. Well, look, that's hard to say. I think um, based upon the broad recovery of the airline industry, which is really what underlies all these valuations of commercial airliners. Um, so long as that continues, um, I don't think aviation will be overly challenged. I still think we'll have many people, even today we have people that feel like they're getting in at the good part and, uh, and now things are like this and they'll want to buy those apps. So short answer, I don't think aviation will be overly challenged uh, at all. And secondly, um, you know, we at Airlease, you know, classically, of course, we've tapped the public bond markets for the vast majority of all of our fundings quite successfully. Uh, and, and we will do so at some point in time. But now is also a time where um, we have other tools um, at our resources. You know, we have just about a $7 billion uh, unsecured bank facility with very attractive uh, uh, financing that runs out for several years. Um, and we have that available. That's uh, and, and you know that's largely been unfunded and, and not used. We use occasionally here and there. Um, we've also had, and in the last four four months or five months, a number of banks approach us globally. Uh, some of them that are in our banking group. I think it's, there's like 53 banks in that group. It said beyond this, we would actually like to do more with you. Uh, in term loan financings and other kinds of things. Uh, we met, uh, you know, uh, we've been talking to a, a number of banks, for example, in Asia that are reaching out. So we're going to do nothing more than you would expect, which is we're going to evaluate yep. these options. We have a pretty good amount of runtime on our balance sheet, but we're going to evaluate these options and we're going to execute what we think you know, makes the, more, the most sense. In the past, we had uh, done a few preferred instruments uh, those are also more expensive today, but I think the point of being an investment-graded rated borrower is, is you're demonstrating to the raging agents, for example, that you do have a broad depth of debt capital markets and debt facilities, and you're not dependent upon one, one source. We're not completely dependent upon ABS at all to sell aircraft. Yes, we've always funded in the public markets, and we'll continue to do, but there's no gun to my head about that right now. We can use this as a time to expand um, our debt portfolio, maybe additionally through, through bank means. Um, the Middle East is a huge source of potential funding uh, capability right now today. So um, I know it's easy to say, well, rates are going up. You guys are going to have to go to the market. You're going to have to pay through the nose. Well, okay, I, 
you know, rates are going up. And the, yeah, whoever goes to the market, yes, you're going to have to pay more. But fortunately, we have the ability on our forward deliveries to put in, and we do interest rate adjuster clauses, and so we have some some parity to offset that uh, that aspect, just as we have escalation clauses in our forward leases. Um, so I think the bottom line is we will look at all of this stuff, and I've got a great CFO and a treasury team that is spectacular at maximizing ALC's position uh, in, in debt funding. And the reason, I suppose, or one of the reasons you can do that is, is scale, right? So mm -hmm. you guys have yeah. a very long track record, yeah. but a huge scale behind you. Right. Um, do you think in this environment, scales is going to become more and more important? So you kind of look at, you know, now six or seven really big players. Mm -hmm. Are those below you that can't tap the unsecured market, and even if they do now, it'll be more challenged, are they more at risk, and does that potentially lead to a further wave of consolidation on the leasing side? Yeah, so I think there's some speculation about that. It wouldn't surprise me that we are gonna see some further consolidation. I think the leasing industry has now matured to a point, Joe, where consolidation ownership changes are just a part of the business now you know, in the airline industry, there's mergers and consolidations. Here in the United States, we're looking at JetBlue and Spirit. And and that's become part of the, I would call, normal landscape. And the, and the leasing industry has matured to a point now where even today there's fresh capital looking to come in. There's others who want to retire, uh, you know, uh, uh, or, or concentrate in, in a different way. Some of the Chinese lessors are perhaps looking a bit more domestically now and, and, and less so outside um, the borders. Um, so I think, yes, I think that could be a factor driving uh, further consolidation. But I think M&A, consolidation, aircraft changes, you know, we've had a number of leasing companies and platforms go to Japanese hands over the last couple of years. I just think that all becomes part of the norm. I, I, I don't think there's anything special about it anymore. It's, it's just that aircraft investments over decades now have proven to be worthy investable assets and will, will attract well-capitalized players uh, as it should. And so this will continue. And maybe keeping with the macro leasing theme, We've seen you know, an acceptance that the 50% threshold has mm -hmm. been breached. Mm -hmm. um, we've clearly seen a deepening of relationships between mm -hmm. lessors and mm -hmm. airlines mm -hmm. with the assistance they gave over the COVID period. Mm -hmm. um, do you see that trend line continuing? Um, and do you just think this, this is a step change we might see in the context of the percentage of least yeah. going forward? So classically, if you look back in history, any time that interest rates are on the rise or we have inflationary pressures, that has classically been a time that has further facilitated um, migration to leasing. If people were on the fence, these are factors that would lead them to go over to the leasing side. I think that's still the case and we're certainly seeing that today. <clears throat> but there's a further compounding uh, accelerator there and that is the paucity of delivery positions left. I mean, Airbus has nothing on the single aisle side until 28. Um, I think it's going to get that way fairly soon on the twin aisle side because twin aisle production rates are very, very, very low uh, from, the, from the pandemic. So I think we're headed that way quickly. And so the point is, who has their earlier term positions? Um, well, 
lessors do. But those available positions are dwindling fast. And there are some major campaigns, as, as there always are now, especially as we're at the end of 22, globally, a lot of it has been written about some of them, that could absorb a lot more aircraft and dedicate a lot more aircraft. Lessor order books are needed to satisfy some of those major campaigns. So I think you have a natural tendency for airlines to protect their cash and balance sheet. That tends to favor leasing. That's always been the case in this kind of environment. Now coupled with the shortage of, of, of available delivery positions. Um, and and um, even across the lessors, if you look in 23, 24, there's not a whole lot left. Uh, so there we have it. Not a bad place to be. Um, <laughs> and, and you've mentioned, so just on the, on, from a fleet focus perspective, you touched on wide bodies a yeah. couple of times, right? Yeah. You guys are focused on you know, new technology aircraft. Mm -hmm. You've, mm -hmm. you've your, your bet's hedged right between mm -hmm. the two guys. Mm -hmm. But when you're thinking about where to back your cash, now some of your points at the moment is your optionality isn't huge and availability of assets. But, but your focus on where you think value is in the market, um, get your thoughts on that. And particularly if you build out on the wide body piece, mm -hmm. I'm just interested on, on how strongly you see that market come yeah, back. Yeah. So we made uh, a move that we have not done before. Um, for the first time, we ordered new wide body freighters. We ordered the A350F. In fact, we were the, launch the leasing launch customer of the A350 freighters. And, and we have now a pretty robust, even though they're not coming till the end of 26, there is a pretty robust series of dialogues with several airlines uh, 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 you know, about this. We'll see how that goes. I would answer the overall question is, you can see by our order book where we've placed our bets and where we think we're gonna get the best yield. So for example, well, we made our first order a couple years ago on the A220. We initially ordered 50. And recently, we extended our options for 25 more. Um, we wouldn't have done that had the market not dictated it and, and warranted it. We were the launch customer on the 321 XLR. We've had now three or four major announcements of successful placements in the XLR. We have leased a lot of LR NEOs. We were the launch customer on the A350-1000. We were the launch customer on the 787-10. Um, all these platforms are performing but what will remain a constant, Joe, despite you know surges in demand that we're seeing now and the wide body side, which is uh, which has trailed the surge in the single aisle side, is balance and proportionality. And when I saw that, generally speaking, we like to think of our portfolio, including our order book, as representative of the global distribution of aircraft. Am I going to go out and buy a hundred new wide bodies tomorrow because I think there's going to be a shortage? Probably not. You have to step back and realize that this industry over decades has gone through many ups and downs. We've gone through 911. We've gone through a global pandemic. And you have to manage f for the downside and not just be an aggressive trader on the upside. And so we will continue to have a philosophy that says we will have a balanced approach. Our fleet and our order book will mirror the global fleet uh, and distribution and the global order book both in terms of quantities uh, and types, and that is where we optimize our sweet spot. Uh, now, doing the A350 freighter was a bit of an aberration for us, 
but we still think it's a good bet because despite the fact that Y bodies are now being used more and more, more belly capacity is available, there has been a fundamental shift over the last six to seven years in global air commerce, and it's, it's all oriented with e-freight uh, and e-commerce, and that is here to stay. That's who thinks that's gonna decrease, even if there's a lot more freight capacity? So we still think that that's uh, a good, safe bet, um, but you know, everything in moderation. We ordered seven, we didn't order 70. <laughs> And you can take from my comments that if we ordered seven, it probably means we think we could place 14. Yeah. yeah. And so we are gonna stick to these principles that I think have served us pretty well. And um, all the airplanes that we have on order, we, we think are good bets. Um, there are some we don't have on order. We don't have the 777X. I'm not saying it's a bad airplane. I'm just saying we've decided not to play in that, in that pond. Um, we don't have any 737-10 Maxes on order. So um, again, not saying it's a bad aircraft, not certified yet, but it's not one that we have yet been able to get our arms around. So, um, you know, 330 Neos we've done well, A350s we've done well, 787s we've done well, 220s have really picked up a lot of momentum in the, in the past several months. And you can well imagine uh, one of the reasons also is because there's no other single aisles yet you can get. You can still get A220s earlier than you can get maxes or you know or neos and so that's given some strength to that program now the industry rumors and discussion about potentially an a220 500 has added further momentum so we're fortunate in that we did place our best to include the a220 um, and we'll see how that program goes. And your perspectives then on the OEM you touched on the outset that some of the challenges that mm -hmm. are there really kind of three areas that I'm curious around. One, have you seen the relationship evolve post-COVID, right, and the importance of lessors? And you mm -hmm. guys were always a large customer, mm -hmm. so it's probably slightly different. Mm -hmm. um, two, production rates, are they a worry? Sounds not, right, because of the third point, which really is how worried are you that they'll be able to deliver what they've promised to deliver you? Yeah, yeah. Um, so Christian and Cher and I just had a, an on-stage conversation at a conference here. Look, there is no doubt in my mind or anybody's mind that is on top of this stuff, that there's demand for all these positions. I mean, neither Airbus nor Boeing is building whitetails. These are, these are, for the most part, very solid orders going well into the future. So the demand is there. That's not the issue. The question is the pace at which the production rate, um, the aspirational goals, I would call them still at this point, of Airbus and Boeing, to meet the demand by increasing those rates, given where we are today with supply chain constraints, still labor constraints, we have a well-known issue and a problem in this industry is we have a, the engine manufacturers for the new newest generation engines uh, have a real problem delivering to those demands, those production demands. Um, they are just up against hard limit and it's not a question of you can solve this problem with money. If it could be solved with money, it would be solved. There's money there. It, that, that's not it. There are just fundamental structural limitations in the supply chain of how much can be produced. And there's two other comments that I think are important that really aren't talked a lot about, but I think are real. Uh, and I'm not speaking for any single supplier here at all. I'm just speaking you know, from my position as CEO of Early. Um, 
most of the supplier contracts to the OEMs in the world today are fixed price contracts. So you're going to get the same dollar for your widget uh, no matter what. Rising interest rates, rising inflation costs, you're getting that same amount of money until your contract expires and you negotiate a new one. Whereas the airframe manufacturers do get escalation. They have escalation clauses in virtually all of their purchase agreements and those escalation clauses are powerful and they're price multipliers for, for, for Airbus and Boeing. With the supply chain so um, stressed, you have a lot, I, th I think a lot is the right word, of secondary and tertiary, thir second, third level suppliers, smaller companies that, are, that have been pushed to the financial wall. They can barely keep their heads above water. And to increase those rates, they need either more capital investment or relief or better pricing. And I think that's a really key thing. And I think a certain number of them will basically say, no, I'm not going to give you 10 more a month or whatever I have to do to satisfy you unless I get new pricing now or unless I have a further capital visit. Sue me if you want, I'll just go into bankruptcy. But no. I speculate that I think we're going to be seeing more of that to exacerbate the supply chain situation. And the second point I would offer is that most suppliers of size and substance um, also tend to supply the defense industry, uh, whether it's in the U.S. or Europe. Um, and most of those suppliers in their, again, this is nothing secret, most of their suppliers in the defense contract side look defense as defense. Uh, and, and the United States and Europe, for example, right now is very much supporting Ukraine defensive measures in our, in our military and in, in the equipment that we're offering uh, to help there. Um, and, but what it comes down to, Joe, is this. Um, most of these contracts, in a very oversimplified way, will say, if you're short of something, like chips, and you have a choice whether they go on this commercial program or this defense program, they're going to go to the defense program. Because that's, generally speaking, in the national interest. And so, if we're in a world of shortages of parts, chips, etc., I think that this is also going to have a ramification going forward for the supply chain. Push comes to shove and we keep producing things to help countries that we feel we need to help in terms of equipment and, and, and armaments and various different things. And we're going to be ramping up production of those things. I just can't help but think that's going to have a further impact on a limited supply chain. So you're going to be in a situation probably for the medium term yeah, where the, these, yeah, these things yeah, persist. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, and just maybe shifting gears a, a little bit on the ESG side with particular focus on mm -hmm. the E. A couple of questions in that area to get your thoughts on. One, the impact you're feeling or are you feeling from either your shareholders mm -hmm. or your debt investors. You're obviously in new technology aircraft. Mm -hmm. You're doing the most you can from a metal perspective. Mm -hmm. Well, just what else you can do as a large lessor that pays a hugely important role in the mm -hmm. ecosystem of mm -hmm. aviation, what's your part to play in helping us get to you know, net zero or yeah. at least carbon reduction? Yeah. I think we have a huge responsibility in this area. Um, I want my, <laughs> my children and grandchildren to be able to live in a world 
where they can breathe and, and drink clean water. <clears throat> so I think we we as a company and an industry are starting to really and specifically as to air lease, um, we did something we never done before. So at the end of 2021, we um, executed the largest order that we as a company have had in our company history with an OEM and that was with Airbus uh, at the end of 21. We did a large uh, purchase agreement, uh, well over 100 aircraft with uh, Airbus. Um, we followed it later in, I think it was February this year, of ordering 50 more Maxes as well. But I go back to the Airbus order uh, and that we decided at the time in, in a small room much like this, <laughs> we collectively needed to, to do more. And so Christian Scherer at the time, we were about to shake hands on our deal and reflecting this, I said, guys, let's do something different. Why don't we take as a part of this order, each one of us, let's say for every aircraft we deliver, take, put in some money, Airbus, ALC, towards a larger fund, towards sustainability efforts in our industry. Um, we immediately said yes. And the reason why we said yes is that there's many, I'm sure, worthy projects on sustainability, SAF, hydrogen, electric, all these things that we don't know that much about. But what we do know is that the global impact of aviation in terms of carbon reduction and environmental friendliness is not gonna make, I think, we think, huge strides until these technologies and SAF and others get widespread usage in the mainstream commercial airlines. And in our view, it's Airbus and Boeing that are in the lead for that, that probably have the biggest single influencer and impact on technology design, you know, any changes needed for SAF fuel burning, possible carbon, possible uh, you know, electrical hybrid developments, it's going to be Airbus and Boeing. It's going to be the OEMs that at the end of the day get those airplanes done and certified and partner with the airline buyers themselves in the same way. So we just said yes. And that was a start. Since then, we've had another leasing company join. We've had several airlines join that, um, that fund. Uh, uh, much to our, uh, you know, uh, happiness. I think you're going to see that fund grow. Uh, I know you're going to see that fund grow. Uh, there is already substantial money there. Uh, it has a separate governing uh, structure. And I think an encourage a encouraging aspect of this is that while each participant, if you will, each LP, I guess you would call it, um, has their own company interest certainly always in mind, my sense is in our discussions, we've kind of put that to the side. We've said we are all doing this for the greater good. And so that has been the spirit of discussions. Where are we going to get the most bang for the buck? How can we help our airline partners who are flying these things achieve quicker sustainability and convince them it's worth spending a buck more on SAF or two or five dollars a gallon initially more? Um, in our own actions, we've tried to um, institute an incentives in such that at least when we deliver an airplane to a new airline, the very first load of fuel that they get to fly back is going to have a SAF component. Um, many things like that. So I think that 
you know, we're here to try and make a difference, not just make ourselves feel good. Um, it's easy to just say, we're going to give money to this and then go about your business. But perhaps naively, I don't think so. I see a new momentum here, and I, th I see a collaborative effort. We as industrial partners and financiers uh, can really help. And so we've made, our, we've made a bet. It probably won't be the only bet we make, but it, for us it was significant. And we, wanted to, we believe that one of the OEMs is in the best position to drive this the most, and that's why we did it. Yeah, no, yeah, look, I think it's a collective effort, as you say, yeah, across the industry. Yeah. But there is buy-in, and that is really great to yeah. hear. Um, just in closing, John, as, as you look out into 23, mm -hmm. we talked a lot about uncertainty, we talked a lot about opportunity. Mm -hmm. Where's your optimism levels? Well, I'm very optimistic um, overall. I think, I think the passenger number is going to be there. I do think demand is continu going to continue. At some point, interest rates and costs may have some impact there. But there's so much recovery yet to still be to happen in Asia. I think that's happening. Look, we're all humans. We're all human nature. We've been, most people are sick of being closed up for two years in COVID and not being able to go. And I think we're seeing evidence of that, of that mindset now that, that all the traffic recovery is, is in the face of higher inflationary costs and, and interest rates and, and that sort of thing. So I'm very optimistic um, on that side of things. Um, I am more concerned about the geopolitical side. Uh, I mentioned earlier how are global relationships going to unfold and continue. China is obviously a big point of, of focus there. Uh, China's intentions on Taiwan uh, are, have been very clear for many, many, many years. Um, how those intentions are further manifested is, is a point of concern. So I would say from a normal commercial side, uh, very, very confident and, and, and feel good. Don't feel as good about the geopolitical side. Well, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not happy but mixed message. <laughs> I'd like to thank you as always for your yeah. excellent insights and wish yeah. you and Air Lease the very best in Well, thanks, Joe, very much. Enjoy being with you. Thank, thank you. you very much. All right, cheers. cheers. cheers.